When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a Monday. We are all excited. We are all happy as a fantastic weekend came about. Cam Newton just whooping ass. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, guess what? Marshawn Lynch was arrested for DUI a couple years ago and got a promotion. Will Richard Sherman, who's arrested again for drunken stupidity, get a promotion? The great Kirk Herbstreet joins the show. Congressman Pat Fallon, why hasn't Biden said a word about Lake and Riley? We all know the answer to that. Don't at me starts right now. Let's open this with Stephen A. Smith last week telling all of us that African-Americans have to be better. They have to be better, more polished, really, in the media. That's a load of crap. And I, I cannot even begin to tell you how many people from ESPN and all across the world of media have sent me texts saying, man, oh, man. Thanks for saying that, because everybody knows that's crap. I mean, show up, be an African-American former player, you'll get a job in TV. I, it doesn't even matter. And Stephen A. Smith... Well, I used Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose went white boy wasted. Ah, kept his job. DUI on top of that. Ah, kept his job. Rhett lied about Jacob Blake. Ah, kept his job. Uh, let me tell you something. You got to be like the king of Prussia to be over 30 years old, a white dude, and get a job in TV. Now, that includes commercials, too. You remember Marshawn Lynch, arguably the sorriest dude walking the planet? Marshawn Lynch, back in 2022, started 2022 out. By driving his Lamborghini about 4 in the morning through some landscaping and through some fences. Cops pulled him over. Ah, we'll charge you with something little. Then later on in August, dude was so hammered in 2022 that he fell asleep in his car on the strip with no wheels. Cops were like, oh, this is great. Marshawn Lynch has become a national icon. Not Marshawn Lynch has like got a promotion in terms of commercials. He's the man. You guys love Marshawn Drunken-Ass Lynch. That's you or me? Fired immediately. That's me? I'm gone so fast my head would spin. Honest to God, you know this. So, Stephen, they tell me again about excellence and, and being better. Really? Well, let's fast forward to Richard Sherman. See, Richard Sherman, I, I'm not, no, you know, I let you guys be the doctors, the psychologists. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know if Richard Sherman has a problem. Sure seems like he does, but it seemed like he did before what happened this weekend. Richard Sherman has been, well, a pain in the ass. He pled guilty in 2022. 2022 was a magical year for ex-Seattle Seahawks morons. 2022, he pled guilty to two misdemeanor charges stemming from a drunken driving and domestic disturbance. He was going to kill his grandfather or something. Yeah, and look, I understand ESPN and others downplaying it because, well, we don't want to be called racist. Yeah, you can call me whatever the hell you want. But I got to tell you, Richard Sherman, who is still in custody, by the way, got himself a DUI over the weekend. He agreed to a voluntary test, said he had just had a couple of margaritas. Okay. He was arrested for suspicion of DUI. 
March of 2022, he pled guilty to first-degree negligent driving, second-degree criminal trespass, speeding in a construction zone. That had not yet expired, so he was on probation. He was going 80 in a 60, consumed alcohol, and was blurry-eyed and all that stuff. But that's the bigger the bigger issue is this. This is going to be funny. Richard Sherman will absolutely keep his job. Maybe not. I don't know. How many, I mean, how many of these can you have? And Richard Sherman kept his job while he was, well, a hammered dude running around trying to peep into his house or his kid. I don't even know. This, it's all so stupid. But the fact of the matter is I don't want to hear from anybody, anybody, about how African-American dudes in the media have to be better. Are you crazy? Marshawn Lynch probably got hammered after filming his next 17 commercials. Marshawn Lynch probably got hammered uh, after getting a new job somewhere in the media, walking around like a big fat slob, uh, mumbling whatever stupid stuff Marshawn Lynch mumbles. I get it. People are trying to make him, right? Trying to make him out to be something. Sherman, well, he had an incident in 2022, I think I said this, where he drove his SUV into a construction zone and crashed. He left the scene, and then, then he tried to break in to his mother-in-law's house. His wife called 911, said he was drunk, belligerent, and threatened to kill himself. All right. Okay. Yeah, like Marshawn Lynch, because I guarantee you the cops who were laughing and joking as Marshawn Lynch couldn't even get out of a car, uh, and the cops are like, yeah, we'll find you 1500 You're good. These dudes are like a menace. These dudes are like... Guys that you're like, hey, man, Marshawn's out driving tonight. Richard Sherman's out driving tonight. Everybody stay inside like the women and children. They got the Lambo out. See, here's the deal. I don't feel bad for anybody. I'm, I know I'm supposed to. I feel bad for people who lost their children. I feel bad for the mother of Lake and Riley, the father, the friends of Lake and Riley, who was senselessly murdered. I feel bad for kids in Chicago that get shot by idiots running around. But I don't feel bad for NFL players that act like dumbasses after they play. I don't feel bad for drunken fools. But what I feel bad is, is that we entitle it. Sherman will be on Amazon. Sherman will probably get a raise. He'll come out and say he's sorry. And next thing you know, Clarissa Thompson's lying ass will sit there and ask him some questions, and he'll act like he's above it all. But he's just a typical drunk and a sad one. Do I feel bad for him? I suppose. I don't know. I mean, what do I know? You know what? When you're given everything, you won the genetic lottery, you play football, you're smart as hell, you go to Stanford, and you decide to screw it up, I move on. I do. Marshawn Lynch's case, you know what? You get out of the hood, you're rolling, you got everybody loving you, and you know what? You get behind a Lamborghini and you potentially go uh, and kill somebody. You didn't. Potentially you do. Harry Ruggs didn't think he was going to kill somebody in Vegas, but he did. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for it. Sympathy is between shit and syphilis in the dictionary with these idiots. And the worst is we are so scared as a society to say, hey, dumbass, of a popular guy, hey, dumbass, you're going to jail. Hey, dumbass, we're not just going to let you off because you got a lawyer. Nuh-uh. And then they do it again and again and again. This won't be Richard Sherman's last time. It won't be Marshawn Lynch's last time. I mean, I've told you this forever and ever and ever and ever. It's always the same guys in the media. I'll get to that in a minute with another guy. It's always the same guys. It's going to be Richard Sherman. Remember when Richard Sherman acted like a complete dumbass to Aaron Andrews 
after a game. Our friends at the Indy Star and every other newspaper took up for him. Well, you know, he's really smart. That's what my guy Greg Doyle made sure. We all knew he's really smart. No, he's an idiot. I don't care if he went to Stanford. How'd he get in? I'm sure he got in because he had great grades. I'm sure he got in because of a combination of football. But he sure didn't look like a Stanford guy yelling and screaming and acting like a fool on the sideline. We're talking to Aaron Andrews. But everybody had to tell us. No, he's really smart. And then the police drop all kind of charges against him for driving through everything and then get, trying to break into his mother-in-law's house. Ah, it's a misdemeanor or two. Now, who knows? At least he's doing a little time in the can. Maybe he'll straighten his ass out. Marshawn Lynch is just a matter of time. Drive your car through a bunch of landscaping and the fence. Ah, we got you. Be so hammered, so hammered, that you don't are driving a car that doesn't have wheels. Now, I want you to think about that. How hammered must one be? I'm driving along. Oh, man, my car doesn't have wheels. Huh. And the cops are so stupid in this case. I love cops. I have a family full of cops. Cops are so stupid in this case that they're like, yeah, you know. All right. We're good. Mr. Meaner. You know, there's actually a video of Sherman trying to break into his mother-in-law's house. There's two sets of rules. We know this. But Stephen A. Smith, you can say whatever you'd like, but you're full of shit. Everybody knows there's two sets of rules. Everybody Stephen A. Smith works with understands there are two sets of rules. And they ain't that the white guy can slack off. Those ain't the rules. Maybe they were for years. Maybe they were. Probably were. But they ain't now. And Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch are living proof. You know, I've always liked Cam Newton. I have. I think he's weird. I think he was great. I've always said this about Cam Newton. I couldn't imagine being a college athlete and going through back in the day what Cam Newton went through on a daily basis, a daily basis, and dealing with the media and dealing with the scrutiny of his father trying to sell him to another school and all these adults are talking. Everybody's talking. And you know what he does? I think he had one pro on the offensive side of the ball. He led Auburn to a national football championship. Now, you got to understand, my boy Urban kicked him out of Florida. He was stealing laptops in the dorm. His dad, a philosopher, a preacher, was preaching. Urban didn't go get him like, hey, man, you can go on somewhere else. But you know what? Cam Newton did. Cam Newton went to junior college. Cam Newton went to. He did. He went to. Auburn, and he let – I could not imagine. See, back in the day, I just absolutely was like, man, I hope the media is nice to me. And then you didn't really read it. But Cam Newton had cameras in his face. I mean, he had cameras every day in his face. So I've always admired Cam Newton. As a pro, he was with Carolina. The only time I really paid attention to him was when they went to the Super Bowl. Think about that. He takes a team in Carolina to the Super Bowl. Since he's played, you know, we've gotten on Cam Newton, his takes on Brock Purdy, his hat, all the way he looks. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't mess with Cam Newton. Don't even think about messing with Cam Newton. He was hosting in his community a seven-on-seven youth football tournament, and here come the idiots. Here come the morons, and there's always morons. I This doesn't matter if it's a white, black community. does not matter. There's always mommies and daddies and hangers on that are going to cause some problems. Well, 
They tried to figure it out with Cam Newton. They tried to have a go with Cam Newton. See if you can watch Cam Newton in here and see how he, ladies and gentlemen, just throws some brothers around. Let's have a look. He got, he got, look at this guy coming in with some swings. talk over this. Cam Newton is built like a brick shithouse. Cam Newton, look at that guy in the white throwing hands from behind. Man, I tell you what, we got to do better with our communities. I keep hearing about excellence in our communities. That's your community? I mean, that ain't a great community. Cam Newton comes into the neighborhood, the communities of excellence, and hosts a football camp. And you see these wild idiots? You see these jackasses? They got to start fighting with the guy that is the host at a seven-on-seven youth football camp and scrimmage. And then guys are trying to find him. And if you saw the original one, he's throwing dudes off, man. He's throwing dudes everywhere. And you know what? I don't know if he pins that thing down, but that hat never moved. Let's show it again. You're gonna If you watch Cam Newton, you're going to see that hat never moved. Let's show it again. See if you can see Cam Newton and watch. That hat don't move. There's a hat. Guy goes flying. Here we are. You got a guy in a headlock. You got another one he's throwing around. Here comes some guy in a white shirt throwing hands. Other idiots running in, some staff members. Police finally show up. Tell me again about excellence. I mean, I've said this forever, and I've said this to uh, reverends that cry. You got to get your communities in order. You got to. I mean, what, what, what is this about? Just a guy, Cam Newton, who represents, in my opinion, everything pretty good. Went to college, struggled, screwed up, didn't whine, bitch, and moan, got himself right, handled the national media with a smile and wins, won a national championship, goes to the NFL, takes a team to the Super Bowl, gives back to the community. Cam Newton is what's right in every community. And these jackasses here, why? Why are we throwing hands? Why are we trying to fight? Now, if you've ever seen Cam Newton, and I saw him once, he's about as big as this wall. Yeah, he's about, about that big. I don't think we have the video, but there is video after of various idiots saying how, man, he couldn't hit me. Okay. All right, so he didn't get me. Guys are scraped up. And Cam Newton, nothing. Cam Newton is an American badass. I will ride and die with Cam Newton. All you little punks out there, the Marshawn Lynches, the Richard Shermans, all those little guys that are trying to fight Cam Newton and coming up from behind and having some sweet, you can kiss my ass. Cam Newton's a bad boy. Cam Newton is an American freaking hero, and I am here for all of it. I now want Cam Newton to come to the Colts because on my afternoon local show, I want to talk great about Cam Newton every day. He's got one guy here, one guy holding on, and he's just whooping ass of little punks. And then what do the little punks do? Oh, they put out videos of their scrapes. Man, you got to understand something about punks. 
Punk's always going to punk. They are. Punks are always going to punk. And I deal with them every day on Twitter, not to the same degree. But, man, how great was it that Cam Newton just whoops everybody's ass? Mm. I'm here for it, people. I think we have – we make yesterday – what's the date on that yesterday? I think we make February 25th Cam Newton Day every year where everybody acts like Cam Newton. Grab a punk, punch him in the head because they're going to attack you while three are attacking you and just whoop some ass. Good work, Cam. I'm a big Cam Newton fan. Always kind of have been weirdly. Good for him. Yay, Ra. All right, the news of the day, the court storming, right? The court storming. A dookie got hurt. Well, I got to tell you, said this on a video yesterday. I'll say it again. Look, I lost my career to a court storming. I had a player named Jermaine Fitch, and if you look up Jermaine Fitch, he didn't average very much. But you ask guys that played at Bowling Green, who was really good, who's a potential NBA player, Jermaine Fitch. Why didn't he? Well, I'll tell you. Played some as a freshman on a really good team. Really good team. Then he got hurt. Uh, ACL. Then he hurt his ACL again. Fast forward, about 2005, four. I think we're 12-2 and two at Bowling Green. We're rolling. I'm going to become the head coach at Indiana at some point. We're going to make the NCAA tournament. Playing Toledo. Now, this gets really interesting. Follow me here. Toledo's whooping our ass. I mean, beating us like you know what. I go in at halftime, and I am whacked out crazy, throwing, breaking, you name it, I'm doing it. But in the midst of all the crazy, I look at my man Jermaine Fitch, and I can tell he's ready. Put Fitch in, second half. His knee was great. He was fantastic. We came all the way back. We won the game. Now, a caveat. Later on, I found out Toledo had a player named Sammy Vajegas who got arrested for fixing games, throwing games. And one of the games was that game. So I don't know if we were any good or not, or Vajegas was just fixing the game. Don't know, but I do know this. Fitch was great, like really good. About 6'5", 220, strong, and really understood basketball and had pop. I mean real pop. Handle the ball. Next thing you know, I smack my assistant on the leg. Artie? Or Bones, I called my uh, my great assistant, Artie Papella. Hey, Bones, I don't think anybody's beating us now. I walk across, shake hands with Stan Joplin, the other coach, and I duck in. We got a little bit of a walkway, and then our little weight room and locker room is to the back in Anderson Arena. Crowd rushes the court. Rushes the court. <clears throat> I'm like, oh, man. But I wanted to get a dip in. That's what I did. Before I talked to the team, settled down. All of a sudden, I hear screams. Coach, coach. I go out, and two of my players are carrying Jermaine Fitch in. A kid, a nice kid named Tyler Swarden, went to chest bump, a miss, <clears throat> missed, hit him on the side, tore his ACL. Done. Not only done for the season, his career. He didn't want to go through all the rehab a third time, and frankly, I didn't blame him. My best player, not that year, the next two years, done. I lost my career because of it. And I've never really said anything other than, yeah, court storming's fun for kids. Yeah, court storming's a good thing. Players, just protect yourself. Get out of the way. But I also said this. If it is dangerous, no one's going to give a rat's ass until a Duke player gets hurt. I said that in 04. Well, yesterday a Duke player got hurt, or Saturday a Duke player got hurt. And the coach did what? 
called for the end, the ban of court storming. Let's hear from John Shire. Disappointed we lost. Uh, but look, for me, it's I'm more concerned about the, the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face? And it, it's a dangerous thing. And I don't want that to take away from the game that Wake played. Because Wake played a big-time game. Salas was as good as could be today. And, and hats off to them. But you look around the country and Caitlin Clark, something happens. And now Flip, I don't know what his status is going to be. He sprains his ankle. And it's one thing, like when I played, at least it was 10 seconds in the court, you know, you would storm the court. Now it's the buzzer doesn't even go off and they're, they're running on the floor. And this has happened to us a bunch this year. Um, it's part of it. I don't want this to take away at all from Wake. They earned it. They deserve the win. Steve is a hell of a coach. I respect the heck out of him and his team. They're, they're really good. And if this is an example that they need to be in the tournament, what are we even talking about? So I'll answer any questions. But for me, that's hats off to them. We need to be better. We need to learn from this. Uh, but uh, that needs to stop. Well, let me ask you a question. And it's a simple question. How are you banning it? You know, it's like, it's like guns. People say you got to ban guns. Well, you don't think people are going to get guns? I'll tell you what my dad did. My dad, back in the 70s, was the principal at Calumet High School. A melting pot. I know people don't like saying that. I don't give a damn. Mexican, African-American, white dudes, poor, no rich. Melting pot school. Gary, Indiana. Murder capital of the United States. My dad had built a beautiful facility. Beautiful field house. I mean the best in the state, maybe at the time. Racquetball course. First one to have baseball cage. I mean, gorgeous. <clears throat> All right? But I didn't want anybody storming the court. Didn't want anybody running on the court. And they held the sectionals there, which in Indiana are a big deal. So what he did was he paid these big football players, and at the end of the half and at the end of the game, they got a rope, surrounded the court. Nobody ran on the court. Not saying that can work. Just saying that's what my dad did with court storming. He figured out a way. So you tell me, John Shire. And look, I understand a dookie tweaked his ankle. A dookie tweaked his ankle, and now we're all supposed to get up in arms? I said it at the time. Nobody gives a rat's ass about a Bowling Green guy tearing his ACL. So it's hard for me to get all emotional about a little dookie tweaking his ankle when he actually initiated the contact. Now, a lot of guys are saying, well, you can't blame it on the player. I can't. Maybe you can't. But I can. I mean, I don't know about you. Don't run into people. What, you're going to get taunted? You're going to get taunted, so what? I get taunted every day. Everybody gets taunted. Oh, my God, they taunted you. Really? Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? So I sit here and I go, all right, how are you banning it? Banning. I'll listen. I'll hang up and listen. I, I would like to hear, but I, I can't tell you. I'm not disagreeing with Shire. I think Shire is right. I think Shire saying we've got to do something about it, but I've been saying that forever to the point where I just say, hey, look, a dookie has to get hurt before we do anything. So now let's see. Now, the difference, though, and I hate to say this because I do like John Shire. I do. Fact of the matter is, though, 
it ain't kind of the same having him up there lecturing us as it was Kay. Kay had a great ability to lecture us. Like, I knew Kay was full of crap, but at least you didn't. You guys didn't. And the truth of the matter is, you know what? I don't know. I kind of like when Dukies lecture us. Uh, Flip Filipowski had this to say on Twitter. This got to change. Oh, okay. Well, all right. I'm down with that. So, what are you changing? What, 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 what are, you, are, we, are we now back to change? We need hope and change. Is that what we need? Flip? Is that what it is? All right. I'm in, man. What's the hope and change this time? What do we got? <laughs> Tell me how to do it. A uh, guy named John Jackson, who is a dookie through and through. He is, let me read John Jackson here. Deputy AD Men's Basketball and External Affairs, Duke University. Uh, guy said, so. A, a guy on Twitter named Ryan McIntyre said, so predictable from Duke today, pathetic. Get off the court like everyone else has done in court storms this year. Don't walk as slow as possible and shove a fan, and as a result, spraining your ankle. What are we talking about? John Jackson, who is the external affairs AD, said, I'd invite this guy, Ryan, to be part of one of these and possibly rethink his position. It's unsafe for players, coaches, staff members, and not the visiting team's fault ever. Interesting. That's the Dukey version. I responded to that because, frankly, Duke, Duke folks give me a little bit of gas. They do. They give me a little bit of gas. I said to him, hey, John, I lost my career due to a court storm as one of my players suffered an ACL. Now that a Duke player tweaked his ankle, were to be in an uproar? I'd invite this guy and others to tell me how they are going about banning. I gave you the only solution that I have, and my dad did it back in the day. I don't know whether it would work. I have no idea. But I know this. I said it a long time ago. Once again, Double D is clairvoyant. It's going to take a little dookie tweaking his little ankle before we do anything about court storming. Oh, you should find the school. All right, find the school. You think Susie Rottencrotch and Joey Bag of Donuts care whether or not the school gets fined when they're half in the bag and they're running around? No, they don't. They don't. They shouldn't. They won't. So that's my suggestion. I hear all these guys pounding their chest, even my friends on ESPN. Court storming is the fault of the administration of Wake. All right. How about you protect yourself and get off the floor? You know, if some little dookie, our big dookie, can't get off the floor when some little wake student is running around, what are you doing? But again, I understand it's dookies. And it's John Shire. John Shire has no pull. I mean, he got to win something before he has pull. I, I get it. It's a prestigious spot that he's in. Head coach, Duke basketball. But he ain't K. And him trying to lecture us, I always sit there and go, huh, like a little kid telling me something. Nah. I told you, though, only something would happen. Only something would happen if a dookie tweaked his little ankle. Now we're in an uproar. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what also do I tell you? I tell you this all the time. All the time. It's always the same people that mouth off, make excuses, act like jackasses in the world of sports. You can name, you know Tyreek Hill's going to say something stupid. You know Pac-Man Jones, Marshawn Lynch, 
and Richard Sherman about ready to get arrested. You know Jalen Ramsey's going to say something stupid. Oh! And he did. Oh! And he did it in traditional stupid fashion. So now, because the Miami Dolphins stunk, it's the fault of everybody but Jalen Ramsey, the highest paid player on defense. It is the fault. It's his fault. It ain't Jalen Ramsey's fault. So Jalen Ramsey says, I won't ever forget that. I won't ever forget, dude. Talking about Vic Faggio, the offense score. Should be crazy how stuff plays out sometime. But one thing I know for sure is that it was an honor to be teamed with the greatest corner in Miami Dolphins history, in my opinion. I won't ever forget, dude, for not utilizing our full skill set. Dude is Vic Faggio. Okay. Dude is a defensive coordinator that's among, if not the most respected defensive coordinators in the NFL. The dude writing it is a moron. I said this many, many times. There are two people that stood out to me as my wife and I and others sat six rows behind the visitor's bench at Lucas Oil Stadium for Colts games. One was a guy named Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell was awesome. I would watch the bench. Calais Campbell was incredible. Calais Campbell was the kind of dude that every team needs on their team. He just was a leader. He was talking. He was going, actually, there's three guys. I'll, I'll get to the second one here in a minute. But I would have Calais Campbell on my team today, tomorrow, the next day, and I don't even care what team it is. I don't care. And we're playing tiddlywinks, give me Calais. We're playing football, give me Calais. We're playing hoops, give me Calais. We got a reading group, give me Calais. A debate, give me Calais. I love that guy. The second was Nick Foles. You could have Nick Foles. Uh, ah. I'm watching his arrogant ass on the bench. I forget he was who he was with. Ah, I couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand watching his body language. I couldn't stand watching his sorry ass interact with his teammates. And the third was Jalen Ramsey. I never seen before, because I always think NFL football players are really smart. I've said forever. I think NFL football players have to study more, learn more, understand more than any other players in any other professional sport. And usually, and this is what stuck out to me about Jalen Ramsey, usually when you watch an NFL team and the defensive coordinator or calls you over, everybody gets in a little pile on the bench. When the offense is on the field, the defense defense here, Jalen Ramsey over there, sulking like a two-year-old. Sulking like a little bitch. And I watched it, and I watched it, and I watched it. And then I started reading how great he is, and I'm like, yeah? I guarantee you this. He'll be good on one team and one team only. One where they don't need him. One where they got so many veterans that he can't influence. Well, guess what? He goes to the Rams. They got Aaron Donald. They don't care about Jalen Ramsey. Player be gone. What happens? He then goes to the Dolphins. Dolphins need him, right? When you need players like Jalen Ramsey, they will always F you. Not sometimes, not most times, always. When you don't need players like Jalen Ramsey, you know what happens? They play really well for you. And he played pretty well for the Los Angeles Rams. He played pretty well early 
for the Jags, I think it was, is who he came up with. And then he became just another guy. Why? Because he got a little pub. But I remember watching him going, man, I want Calais Campbell on my team. And they were on the same team. And I think one of the times Calais grabbed him by his neck and brought him over to the meeting because he was acting like a little uh, self-important, petulant bitch. And Calais Campbell wasn't having it. Pretty fascinating to sit behind NFL benches and watch. Tom Brady always got up and practiced. Now, when he got up and practiced, if he was anywhere near our aisle, my wife, Lee, ran down and took a picture in front of him. Only dude ever because he's so incredibly handsome. And the other thing you learn about Tom Brady is he's really big. But it does not surprise me at all that Jalen Ramsey is talking ish after the fact, making excuses after the fact. You use our skill set. Yeah, okay. Uh, sure. I'm going to skip over the Draymond Green stupidity, and I'm going to something pretty important. You know, Lake and Riley, just a young 22-year-old nursing student on Georgia's campus, was ruthlessly murdered by an illegal immigrant. The illegal immigrant, somehow, someway, being illegal, worked for Uber Eats and DoorDash. Now, as a veteran of DoorDash, I got to tell you, I don't want illegal immigrants with criminal records bringing my food anywhere. In fact, I won't DoorDash or I won't Uber Eats because I work there. And I realize, wait a second here. I'm a really good dude. Like, I took care of the grub. I made damn sure everything was on time. But can you imagine some jackass coming from Venezuela, getting arrested three different times, coming here illegally, handling your food? No, I don't think so. Now, if that makes you sad or you want to call me certain names, you go right ahead. But I worked there. I worked at the – and I will never, ever, not one time ever door dash nothing. I will go old school – I'll go get it. In fact, there's a great place over here called the Moray that has an unbelievable shrimp pasta dinner that I love. I'll go get it. I don't need you. I'll go get it. All right. Allie Bradley says, listen to this, multiple sources confirmed the suspect in Lakin Riley's murder. Jose Antonio Abaria is here illegally. Crossed September 2022 in El Paso was released due to lack of detention space. Comes in, was arrested by ICE Atlanta. He is charged with malice murder, felony murder, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, kidnapping, hindering a 911 call, concealing the death of another. Lake and Riley was just on a run. Lake and Riley was on a run, and this happened. See, I think, personally, these deaths are on Joe Biden's hands. All you got to do is follow, be a follower of this show. We've had people that have been down to the border, whether it's Dan Pastorini, Brian Erlach, or others, that'll tell you people are just coming in. And if you're dumb enough to believe this isn't coming to your city, you're insane. You are absolutely insane because this is coming to every community. I mean, more people than are in a few of our states have come in like this Iberia. Jails have been opened in Venezuela, in Peru, in Chile, in Brazil to let the worst among them get their ass out of there and come into our. Let me ask you a question. What are those people doing? Where are those people staying? The idiot mayor of New York has given some of them $10,000 gift cards. We give our veterans that, but no, that's a different story. Where do you think these folks are going? 
I have a very good friend, lives in Albuquerque, which is not a border town. It's a couple hours north. He's like, dudes are running through our neighborhoods like it's nothing. Coming to Indiana, coming to our neighborhood. I said this before. I live on a cul-de-sac. One of my neighbors is one of them white dudes. He and his wife, very nice people that had that sign. Nobody's illegal. Everybody's sanctuary. I said, hey, man, if they drop one of them buses off here, I'm sending everybody to your house. You're the one that says no one's illegal. He took the sign down. I think I've told that story. Look, here's the deal. There's a way to come in this country. I think everybody agrees. There's a way to come in this country legally. Many people have, and many people have been great contributors to our society. But the fact of the matter is, when you just open borders and let people out of prisons in countries in South America or flown in from China, you got a problem. And that problem ain't going away. You know, look, I'm white as hell. And in my neighborhood, it's kind of mixed a little bit. It's coming. You're black. It's coming. You're Asian. It's coming. You're Greek. It's coming. I'm Serbian. It's coming. It is coming, and it is these illegal immigrants causing you problems. It's coming. And I'll tell you something else. Here's Clay Travis's take on this. We don't, we're scared in the media to talk about illegal immigrants. Now, this shows only half of it. Because the Associated Press headline that Clay's talking about is this. The killing of a nursing student out for a run highlights the fears of solo female athletes. That's what they got out of it. Georgia's college student gets murdered by an illegal immigrant who had already been arrested and released into our country. And this is the association, Associated Press take. If 75% of journalists lost their job, I think the country would be better off. Not sure you can say that about any other profession. Boy, is he right. Journalists, my ass. So the problem there was women running on their own. Not that we have a moron in chief that for some reason is so power hungry, he wants votes from illegal immigrants, and we're letting them run rampant in our country. It's happening every day. All you got to do is, if you're on Twitter, follow the New York Post. The New York Post will document every day some illegal immigrant fighting cops, stabbing somebody in New York City. And this idiot mayor, instead of saying, hold on, we want to get rid of these guys, he's going to give them $10,000. All right. You know, one of the most interesting things about this whole deal is how we in the United States are afraid to protect our own country. I don't know why either. Hey, you can't come in, man. You got to go through the process. Hey, man, we're going to secure our borders. The border has now now become the number one topic in the presidential election, which means Biden and his morons will do something about it a little bit fairly soon because all they care about is power, winning. I don't know if Big Mike's going to get in the election, but I guarantee you Big Mike will do something about it. Whoever comes in and replaces the brain-dead president we currently have will do something about it. I know for damn sure Donald Trump will do something about it. And you can call me MAGA. You can call me anything you want. Anything you want. Doesn't matter to me. I get called things every day, but I'll tell you this. I'm voting my ass off for Trump. I may vote four times for Trump. Why the hell not? I mean, that's what some fat ass does in Georgia when when uh, when uh, mail-in ballots come to her house. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going Gary, Indiana. I'm going to figure out, I got a little creek next to my house. 
I'm going to figure out the address of that creek, sign it up. Man, oh, man, we've never needed a president more than we need Donald Trump. Not necessarily because Trump's such a great guy, but he has a little bit of balls, and he'll shut down the border because it's coming. It's coming to your neighborhood, your community, your schools, your parks. Name it. They're coming. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Oh, man, I just realized West Virginia is 9-18. and 18. Why does that matter to me? Because in 2002, I took the West Virginia job. They were lying, cheating, thieving idiots. A guy named Dr. Hardesty, who was the president of West Virginia, smacked the desk, stood up, threatened me and my wife. My wife got up. I said, what do you mean you're going to destroy us? So I laugh every time West Virginia sucks. And West Virginia, other than a few years under uh, Beeline, has been an embarrassment, absolute embarrassment. I mean, and Huggins is a drunken clown, and you know what? I love it. I mean, my guy Bobby Herzl is the writer there, and he is a complete stone idiot. Um, I just sent him a tweet. I said, holy hell, West Virginia is 9-18. and 18. Jesus, better get a puff piece on Higgins, on Huggins out. I mean, ready? I hate him. I mean, I don't hate anybody, but never have people been such a jackass, such jackasses to me as West Virginia. I just said, screw you, I'm leaving. Ah, Get out of here. And speaking of colleges, I don't even want to talk about Indiana basketball, but I will. Indiana basketball stinks. We have Dumb and Dumber. Quinn Buckner is our head of board of trustees, and Mike Woodson, our coach. I mean, honest to God, pass the freaking opiates. These two morons have screwed up Indiana basketball. Now, to, at least Buckner, when he played, kind of made Indiana basketball. He was the first big, big-time big recruit to come play for Bob Knight. He led Indiana to all kind of stuff. A uh, couple Final Fours, undefeated national championship, 36 in a row in the Big Ten. I mean, he's a great player. But somehow, some way, a guy without a job became the board of trustees head at Indiana. I mean, he's a little announcer for the Pacers, but he won't shut up. It just drives me nuts. And he hired Mike Woodson, and he's trying to go back to Georgetown. They're trying to make it the modern-day Georgetown. Whatever. I'm just saying to you Indiana fans, sorry. We're going to get the sad out this afternoon, and we're going to do a third person. We're going to kick a third person, yo, on 1430. What does that mean? Mike Woodson yesterday went Mike Woodson on us. Well, guess what? Dan Dockage is going to go Dan Dockage. Everything's third person coming up here. At noon to 3 on 1430. Hey, let's do some stock up, stock down. Macareza, Araza, the punter god, is back. Guess who's back, back, back. Raza's back. And I think it was the Chiefs that signed him. Now, here's the deal. Here's what you got to understand. This dude was falsely accused. And, of course, every single media person believed the alleged victim. I've told you this before, and I'll tell you this again. My sister was a 25-year prosecutor. My sister doesn't believe nobody. She's domestic violence prosecutor. She has great stories of how women came in and lied, and thankfully in one case, big old football player for IU had the whole sexual encounter videotaped. Not a bad move, just saying. 
But Araza, he signed with the Chiefs. Chiefs are ahead of the game. Uh, who's going to protest? And if you're going to protest, what are you going to protest? Go ahead. All right, we don't want him punting. Why? Because he was falsely accused? Nobody ever charged him with anything? The woman recanted him even being there? What are you protesting there, Slick? What are you mad about there, Susie? What's going on there, honey? You mad? Go over there and be mad. Like, I don't understand. Like, media outlets are so afraid that an African-American is going to get mad. Go over there and be mad. Sylvester Stallone is moving his crew. Sylvester Stallone is doing what our fearless leader, Clay Travis, is suggesting everybody do. Get the hell out of California. Get your ass to Tennessee, Texas, or Florida. Well, guess what? Sly on his show said, hey, we're loading up the truck, and we're moving to Florida. I don't know if that's a moving on up or if that's a Beverly Hills move. Either way, he is saying, adios to high taxes. Adios to illegal immigration. Adios to craziness. Hello, freedom. Hello, no income tax. Hello, you put criminals away. Hello, Florida. Good for Sly. You know, there's a great story in Seinfeld, and it's very underrated. It's about when Cosmo Kramer takes over a bus when a guy's threatening to shoot it, and he's driving, and he's hitting this guy, and I'm driving the car, and I'm stopping. It's a great, great story. That's what I saw yesterday out of Cam Newton. Cam Newton's got a dude in a headlock, one guy climbing on his back, and he's whooping ass. And then, of course, some little punks come in from behind, but he's just punching this guy, and he's noogie this guy, and he's throwing that guy. He is a modern-day Bruce Lee without all the kicking. I mean, what makes you idiots think that you can just throw hands with a pro- former professional athlete that's built like a wall and endured hits from guys like Aaron Donald running full speed at him? And you think, little gangbanger, because your pants are halfway down your ass and you got your strap, yo, you think anybody gives a shit about you? You're the easiest guy who's asked to whoop because you're the biggest cowards out there. And that's exactly, he's driving the bus and I'm pushing him. If you saw the Seinfeld episode, it's freaking good. And I did a really good imitation right there. So stock up Cam Newton. Stock up. I raise a tropical 7-Up zero sugar to you, Cam. It's the second highest honor that I can give. The highest, of course, is I keep two frosted mugs in my freezer. And I got a damn near boxes of A&W zero sugar. If I raise a frosted mug of A&W zero sugar to you, that's the equivalent of an Oscar. You deserve that today, but I ran out. I digress. Stock down, drunken Richard Sherman. Hey, Richard, let me ask you a question. Better yet, hey, Amazon chief, let me ask you a question. You got a lady there hosting your halftime show, and it's the worst halftime show in America, who said that as a sideline reporter, she was just a filthy liar. Oh, okay. Now you got Richard Sherman there, who's on his third drunken arrest. I think you'll do what's right. I think you'll give Sherman a raise. You don't want an African-American former athlete mad at you. The head of Amazon TV does not want an African-American saying, racist. Let me tell you, it's a badge of honor now. It is. Everybody's racist. I said yesterday, hey, man, these illegal immigrants are coming to your name. A racist! Okay. 
Everything's racist. My black shirt's racist. White guy shouldn't wear a black shirt, man. Shouldn't wear a black shirt. That's racist. Uh, if you have any balls, and you don't because you're afraid, you got to get rid of Richard Sherman. I mean, Richard Sherman, I think it's a it's decent to ask based on that show. It's the worst show ever. Like that Fitzmagic guy, oh, my God. Andrew Whitworth, oh, my God. Nice guy, does a lot in the community. And then you got Sherman. I think he'll get a raise. I do. I think he'll go Marshawn Lynch and get a raise. I think he'll go Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was a rapist. Not was. Well, he's dead. So when he lived, he is a rapist. But yet, man, Mamba mentality. Huh. Interesting. Well, the new Major League Baseball uniforms are out, and everybody's mad. I don't really get mad about Major League Baseball uniforms. Can we show one? I don't know what the problem is. I saw them, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we bitch about everything. The pants are a little wacky. People are mad. Uh, See-through pants. That's all right. Hey, look. Back in the day when I played at Indiana, when, when I played there, I used to give the gals a thrill. And some of the guys, very liberal community. We had shorts that were this big. I never wore a jock. I, didn't, I wore tidy whities The girls used to swoon. I mean, literally pass out. I mean, I had to take, you know, I had to take a belt and strap it down on the side. But you know what I'm saying with that. But apparently these unis are see-through. Give the people what they want. You know what I mean? Give them what they want. Give them a little beefcake. Show the package. Show the ass. But fellas, make sure you shave that ass. I mean, what's the problem? You know, my guys, Nick and Nick, baseball player. One of them's a baseball player in college. He's all upset. Look, Nick, do yourself a favor, man. No underwear. See through. Your toes are tapping. You'll be dating a porn star in no time. And isn't that the dream of every young, blue-blooded, American baseball-playing male? Porn star on their arm? (laughs) Tell you what, it's pretty good business. It's not bad at all. A couple of things before we move along here. Uh, Pat Fallon is going to join us, Congressman, Representative, excuse me, from the great state of Texas. Herbie's going to join us. That's right, I said it. Herb Street is going to join us. Can't wait. I want to ask him about something. Eric Bieniemy. <laughs> Eric Bieniemy did the other. <coughs> All I ever hear about is how college football coaches are pissed off. College football coaches want to get to the NBA, NFL. A former che- – how about that? Just belching right on the show. I mean, what am I, a farm animal? No wonder you guys watch this show. You think Cavuto's doing that? Huh? You think Brett Bear's doing that? Huh? Jack Tate, Jack Tapper, Dr. Richard Tapper, is he doing that? No, but I do. Anyway, former Chiefs and Commanders offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy is headed to college football. He's going to be the associate head coach for the UCLA Bruins, and he's going to be the offensive coordinator. Good for him, man. Seriously, good for him. I think it'd be fun. Look, UCLA, Chip Kelly left, Shane Foster's in. Next thing you know, you're in the Big Ten. Next thing you know, you're going to Michigan. You're having a good time. Isn't life truly about a good time? I think it is. I think it's about a really good time. 
Uh, let me get to a couple of other things. I know I've got some things here on the docket, but I want to get to a couple of other things. College basketball this weekend was pretty damn good. I don't know if you saw these two shots, but damn. I watched the other day, 1984. There's like six pros in the game. Indiana against Virginia to go to the Final Four. Elite Eight. I'm sitting there playing. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers, is playing. Honest to God, horrible basketball. We're all inside the three-point line. We're all inside the top of the key garden. Scrappy. Horrible basketball. I text Carlisle, okay, Rick, I know you beat us, but that ain't why I puked in a bucket. I puked in a bucket because it was so bad. He's like terrible. Horrible. So I'm watching college basketball, and I'm watching Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and some kid lifts up from about 28, 28 feet left wing, drills it for the win. Then I'm watching Ohio State, and shout out Jake Diebler. Uh, I got his number. We're going to try to get Jake on this week. Jake's a new interim head coach at Ohio State. Ohio State lifts up, same spot, left side, right in front of the bench, 25 feet at Breslin for the win. Whap! Man, I got to tell you, I say it, I'll keep saying it every single day. College basketball delivers. And let me say this. You remember a week or so ago, everybody was losing their mind. Oh, my God, can you believe Rick Patino? Rick Patino was mean to his players. Rick Patino called his players out. Now, I didn't like Patino walking it back. But let's talk about Patino. So Patino's St. John's team whips Georgetown, which me, you, that wall could whip Georgetown. But here's the deal. Yesterday, Patino's crew at St. John's, nationally televised, in the garden, in Manhattan, takes on arguably the best offensive team in the country, Creighton. Creighton coming off a massive court-storming win against UConn. Guess what happened? Soon as I watched the first 10 minutes, I live bet St. John's. It was obvious to me St. John's was going to win that game. And they did. And Patino, after calling out his team, wow. You know everything goes back to Indiana. Indiana's got one player that's playing where the damn is a kid named Renew. You know what Woodson did two weeks ago? Called out Renew. You know what the idiot media in Indianapolis did? Got mad at Woodson. Nah, you're giving me a headache. Uh, Virginia's the worst offensive team in the history of basketball. In fact, Virginia could play with Carlisle and my team. Bowling, uh, Indiana and his Virginia team because that's how bad they are. Horrendous. Best team I saw over the weekend, maybe not the best, but the best coached, Nebraska, the Huskers. Holy hell. I mean, they were picked 12th in the Big Ten this year. They just won their 20th game, and they guard like it's their job. The mayor, Fred Hoiberg, has massive connections. Grandparents live in Lincoln, all that kind of stuff. Massive connections to Nebraska, and they're going to make the NCAA tournament. They are. They got a transfer named Bryce Williams from Charlotte. All he does is make shots. Kishi Tamanaga, this Asian kid that went to a junior college, is a baller. He looks exactly like the dude that jumped out of the trunk in freaking uh, The Hangover. That guy who's a doctor, that big Duke fan, I can never remember his name. But every time I see him, that's who he reminds me of. I'm sure somehow that's racist because, like, you can't say somebody looks like somebody unless they're a white middle-aged guy and you say that I look like a thumb. 
Get over yourself. But anyway, man, oh, man, are they good. Wow. They're fun, too. They're really, really, really fun. Yeah. No. They're really fun. You know, it's interesting. It'll be fascinating to see if Florida Atlantic gets in. I think they will. They're 21-7. and seven. I'm rooting like crazy for them. I want them and I want Nevada to get in. I do. So we'll see. Anyway, long story short, I'm telling you, every single night college basketball delivers. And anybody that doesn't think college basketball isn't better now than it was in the 80s has absolutely played no attention. No attention. No. No. None. Zero. Zip. Nope. 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 Still, huh? Let me make my stance crystal clear. Court storming. I look. I understand, man. Once a dookie gets hurt, we're all supposed to get up in arms. John Shire. Well, he went on an impassioned speech about court storming. He went on. We need to ban it. Let's hear from Coach Shire after a loss to Wake. Disappointed we lost, uh, but look for me, it's. I'm more concerned about the, the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face? And it, it's a dangerous thing. And I don't want that to take away from the game that Wake played. Because Wake played a big-time game. Salas was as good as could be today, and, and hats off to them. But you look around the country, and Caitlin Clark, something happens. And now Flip, I don't know what his status is going to be. He sprains his ankle. And it's one thing, like when I played, at least it was 10 seconds in the court, you know, you would storm the court. Now it's the buzzer doesn't even go off, and they're, they're running on the floor. And this has happened to us a bunch this year. Um, it's part of Thank it. You. I don't want this to take away at all from Wake. They earned it. They deserve the win. Steve is a hell of a coach. I respect the heck out of him and his team. They're, they're really good. And if this is an example that they need to be in the tournament, what are we even talking about? So I'll answer any questions. But for me, that's hats off to them. We need to be better. We need to learn from this. Uh, but uh, that needs to stop. Just doesn't have the same juice. I'm sorry. It, it, it just doesn't have the, uh, the same juice. It used to be when Shashevsky was lecturing all of us with his nonsense. We'd go, oh, well, it's Shashevsky. Hey, it's Coach K, yay. Nah. So my question then becomes, 
How are you going to ban it? How are you doing it? I mean, I'll, I'll listen. I mean, I know people got all the answers. I mean, I have told you this. My father, well, built a beautiful field. I mean, it's gorgeous. Calumet Fieldhouse is gorgeous, man. Tracks, I mean, everything. Didn't want people on the court. What did he do? He got and hired big old football players, and at halftime, they had a rope ready. Put the rope around it with about a minute or two to go, and the football players were in place, and as soon as the half came, they stood up, held up the rope, let the teams go, kept people off the court before, during, and after the game. Not hard. I don't know if you can do that in college. I don't know if anybody in college is going to abide by any rules. I don't know. But I'm giving you an example of how one man decided to stop it back in the day. Now, high schools don't court storm. The hell they don't. In the sectionals at Indiana, your team wins a sectional. Everybody runs around all excited, gets on the court. You know what I mean? So I ask, you know, I know that everybody has an answer. I understand. John Shire is just the young guy, and he's going to tell us how it is. Yay, Rob. Okay. How do you ban it? I mean, a Duke guy talking about taunting is funny to me. You ever see those signs or those, those pictures of an opponent taking the ball out of bounds by in front of Cameron Crazies or whatever they're called? Man, you got uh, Duke's got some ugly people. You got these ugly-ass students pointing and yelling and all this stuff. Duke being, well, concerned about taunting. Is pretty funny to me. Now, I would say this. I'm banning the handshake line. How do you do it? No handshake line. Hey, there's no more handshake line. Handshake line is the dumbest thing in the history of basketball. NBA goes, hey, see you guy. When I played, if I had a teammate at Purdue, I'd go give him a hug and we'd be gone. Or if we lost and Knight was mad, I tell you what, we just get off the damn court. That's it. Pretty simple. But you know what? I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to have a better reverence for Duke. I know we're supposed to jump up and down, stand on our head and crap snowballs because the Dukies say it. That's fine. But I just can't. Now, if Notre Dame grads get pissed about something, then I'm all in. I mean, if Notre Dame grads got something to say, you know what? I tell you what. Then I listen. You know who's a Notre Dame grad? Representative Pat Fallon, who joins us now. If you got something, I'm going to listen. Let me ask you a simple question. This is a simple sure. question. Okay. When George Floyd's full of fentanyl, raping, robbing ass got murdered, the President of the United States took a knee, uh, Nancy Pelosi wore African garb, tweets were set, Lake and Riley gets killed by an illegal immigrant. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the President or any of these guys, or ladies or guys say one damn thing. What gives here? And thanks for joining the show. No, Dan, thanks for having me on. Now, it's clear that the left has, they, they assign certain values depending on uh, not who you are, but what you are. And certain lives, in their view, are more valuable than others. And I think it's absolutely disgusting. Um, uh, this tragedy, Lincoln should be alive right now and should never happen. But they continue these policies that make absolutely no sense and really violate the number one mission for any elected official, which is to keep your constituents safe. Because if you're not safe, then you're not free. But they just, they they pigeonhole and continue to cater to the left of the left of the left. You know, you're in a border state. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hear that 
I don't know, that diversity hire, Jean Pierre, whatever the hell her name is, tell us that <laughs> that Biden and his administration are doing absolutely everything they can for border security. Is that accurate? That couldn't be further from the truth. That's an absolute abject lie, and it's disgusting. <laughs> I'll give you a couple examples. Because Alejandro Mayorkas, Dan, said that the border is – he said this under oath, by the way, testifying in front of Congress. He said the border is no less secure than it has been under past administrations. That's a direct quote, and that's complete – it's something that you can disprove just by looking at the data. So under the Obama and Trump administrations, at this uh, juncture in their presidencies – there had been roughly in both administrations about 1.7 million illegal crossings in the first year, or sorry, for the first three years. Under Joe Biden, it's 8.5 million. That's not anything close to uh, comparable at all. Under the last uh, the last year of the Trump administration, there were 450 Chinese nationals that crossed the border illegally. Last year, there were 50,000, mostly mil military age men, some of which clearly aren't here to do us, uh, you know, to, to, to melt right. and live the American dream. They're saboteurs. Just even if it's 1%, that's what the communists do. That's what Russia did in Ukraine. They infiltrate and then they activate them if we were to go to war. And, for, and, and let's say, for instance, China invaded Taiwan. This is what's happening at the southern border. And it's absolutely abhorrent. Am I over-exaggerating? I have a very good friend lives in Albuquerque, and he's like, Dan, man, uh, Albuquerque is not a border town. It's way north. Uh, Athens, last I looked, is not a border town. I have said this, and, you, and I've had people call me racist, call me dead wrong. With the numbers that are pouring in, it seems to me that this is coming to everybody's community no matter where you're at. Doubt that Joe Biden's made every state a border state. The, let me, I'm going to read off some figures to you that um, I discovered from the Department of Public Safety here in Texas. These are criminal aliens, so non-U.S. citizens, over the last 11 years in Texas. They have been responsible. There were 428,000 arrests, and they committed 513,000 crimes. 950 murders, 64,000 assaults, 60,000 drug charges, 1,150 kidnapping, 6,500 sexual assaults, 7,400 other sexual offenses, 6,200 weapons charges, and 187,000 convictions just in Texas. But Joe Biden doesn't want you to know the truth. Joe Biden doesn't want you to know the dangers because Joe Biden only caters to his far left base and they want to think that they're more compassionate and they have more virtue than you and I and other Americans that are calling this out for what it is. So I asked them. In fact, I asked a fella that was testifying as a Democratic witness in uh, the Oversight Committee a couple weeks ago. I said, you talk about compassion. How many illegal migrants do you have living in your home? How many are you opening up your home to house? The answer was zero, just like every Democrat in Washington. It's hypocrisy at its finest. So where do people think these folks are going? Where where does the left think these folks are going? I don't think, Dan, they really care as long as they don't go to their house and their neighborhoods. They want to open right. up the border. There's, there's no compassion at all. It's the classic limousine liberal. And this is the thing that the left also doesn't want to talk about. Let's take Texas again. Along the border of Texas on the American side, the vast majority of people, we're talking 90, 95, 98 percent, depending on the town, 
that live there are Hispanic Americans. They're Americans of Hispanic heritage, mostly Mexican heritage, but not all. Those folks are at the tip of the spear of this really cataclysm now. There are, they are leaving the Democratic Party in droves to vote for Republican candidates. I had a friend, Ryan Gian, a state rep, 20-year Democrat. He switched to the Republican Party. He's still in the Texas House. You've got Tony Gonzalez uh, along the border, a Republican congressman. Monica Dela Cruz, Republican congresswoman. Uh, Myra Flores was elected and could come back all along the southern border. President Trump lost several of those counties on the border to Hillary Clinton by 30% or more. And then in 2020, he won or was very competitive in those counties. And in 2024, he's going to probably sweep down there other than El Paso because they know they're sick of the crime, the chaos, the corruption, and the cartels. You know what's interesting to me, Pat, is every president – I went back and looked at this. I'm talking about Reagan, Bushes, Clinton, Obama. Every president, uh, obviously Trump, has talked about the importance of a secure border. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Every single one has. And there is no chance in my world that this current president – who can't put a sentence together, who can't lift his feet, who doesn't know his ass from third base, is smarter than all those people going backwards. Why has well, it changed so much? That's a great question. Well, one, Biden's not showing the leadership that presidents have in the past simply because he is really, and it's not, it's sad. He's a shell of who he used to be. He has, he has some form of dementia and it's severe. Ask anybody that has known him. There is a friend of mine in the, in the House, a Republican member of Congress from New Jersey, Chris Smith, and I have his permission to talk about this. He has known Joe Biden. He's been in Congress since 1981. He, in New Jersey, Delaware, very close. He's friends with Biden. He said he can't believe the changes. So that's the first problem, because then if you're that weak at the top, who's going to run the country? Your aides are going to be heavily influencing you. And they tend to be further left than a Democratic president. So that's who's running the show. And think about this just from a rational standpoint. We can't pay our own bills right now. We spend more money than we take in. Those are called deficits year over year. And the total, uh, if you add all the deficits up, that's what the debt is. So the debt right now is $34 trillion. The uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform did a, a study and concluded that this illegal migration is costing U.S. taxpayers 100 net, $155 billion a year. It is not rational policy. It's dangerous. We, again, we don't know who these people are. And how about encouraging legal migration so when people get here, they can actually contribute and they're respecting the laws and the rules of the country that they want to become a part of? Isn't that a novel idea? What's the... That is a shockingly novel idea. In fact, it's one that has been in place for a long time, and both sides of the aisle, actually, in my world, that I've paid attention to, seem to support legal Im immigration. I mean, my great, my grandfathers came over, you know, all that kind of stuff. A lot of people have that story. Let, let me ask you this. I always try to look at the other side. I always say, mm -hmm. all right. What's the what's the gain for Harris? Camilla Harris is the you know the czar. Okay. What's the gain for Biden and Harris and the left by having this open policy? You know, that's a great it's a great question. And it boils down to really their religion 
is leftism. That's their religion. It's their belief system. And when you, that's why they get so angry when people like yourself or me or others point out the deficiencies in their belief system. You're really insulting their God and government is their God. And they, part of that belief system is really open borders. They never call it that. They're smart enough not to alienate the left and, and admit it. But that's what this policy is. If you cross the border and it's what I call it is it's misdirected empathy. And we should have empathy for the right. folks that are trying to come to this country and follow the rules, not just break our laws and say, I want it's just, picture the a country as a house. People just can't walk in your house and take your stuff and you're OK with it. But the left is because that's that's not there. They won't they won't house them. And like I said before, they won't take them in. But as long as somebody else does it and the mythical money from the sky pays for it, they're just fine. So that's why you got to call them out and say, if you want these open borders, you must take them into your home. You must pay for them with your money. They should only go to sanctuary cities and states. And look at what happens when uh, Governor Abbott or Governor DeSantis send illegal migrants to New York or <laughs> San Francisco or Martha's Vineyard. Hell, they called out the National Guard. <laughs> Hey, uh, I live on a cul-de-sac, and one of my neighbors, a young guy, and they're really nice, and they're friends. They had one of those signs, no one's illegal and all that. And oh. I said, hey, look, I said, I'm so glad you have that sign because if a busload of illegal immigrants come, I'm sending their ass to your house. And you can house them because you got that sign, man. You, 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 know, you, you, you take care of the deal. I'm going to go back to Biden about something. Yeah. Biden wasn't always this way. Correct? At least what I have researched. I don't know his history like maybe I should, but I know enough to know he wasn't always this 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 way. Not not the dimension. You know, I'm talking about policy. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was definitely a, a left left to center guy, but he wasn't this far left. I mean, this this is he's right. taking just constant left turns since he's been in office. Now, he was never an honest guy. When you look at there's a great clip that uh, folks put together from his 1988 presidential campaign yes. where the media busted him for consistently lying plagiarism. Uh, he, he claimed when he was up in New Hampshire uh, campaigning to this one fellow that he got into a little tiff with that he had been uh, a magna cum laude and one of the smartest people in his class in law school and in college. And he had double majors, all of which were untrue. And he was a 48 year old man. He was a grown ass man then. And he was lying and he was plagiarizing and they would cover the plagiarism with lies and he got busted. And that's the same guy we have now, except his brain's not working all that well. So, yeah, we got the, the worst of both worlds. We got the liar who can't remember. I think the funniest thing is when he starts talking about his football accomplishments and when he starts talking about all the different churches he was raised in. Like, before <laughs> school, I went to the African-American church, and then I went to the poor. Like, damn, I went to Catholic school, and we could only hang with one church before school. Like, I, the lying is spectacular to me, though. It's, it's, it's pure comedy. Yeah, and unlike you know, like George Santos, who was, who was lying, the media actually holds Republicans to account. Isn't it, you know, right. but Joe Biden can lie and they just look the other way. I mean, we, we expelled Santos. I didn't vote to expel him because he hadn't been convicted of anything yet. But nobody's calling for uh, the expulsion of Bob Menendez over in the Senate. Why? He's been indicted, too. There's, I think they're very parallel cases. So why hadn't the Senate expelled him? Because he's a Democrat and that's an extra Democratic vote and they didn't want to lose him. 
So I think it's just, again, yeah. if, the, if the liberals didn't have double standards, Dan, they would have no standards at all. Man, it, it, it is astounding. All right, I got to ask this because I'm, I'm, I'm I grew up in, in Gary, Indiana, where my dad's good friend um, is – well, the guy who taught me how to shoot a jump shot is currently uh, – he got – the whole city council of East Chicago got convicted in federal court of voter fraud uh, trying to pave driveways and streets for votes. He took off the day before his sentencing. He's in Mallorca. He's a Greek citizen, sent all his money there over the years, knew this was coming. So I believe in voter fraud. I don't care what anybody tells me. Gary, Indiana, my dad's best friend, came to our house to try to sign up the empty lot next to our house. My dad said, we don't own it. The Melhams do. He signed it up and got a few votes from an empty lot. I don't know how you do it. But I believe in voter fraud, and I think the Republicans, whether these polls say Trump's in, in, in first or not, better figure out how to handle harvesting, better ha figure out how to combat voter fraud in this coming election. My opinion. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And this, so this is, this is what the left always plays this game, too. When you talk about this topic, they'll say there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. There's no evidence of it because it's so easy to do if you have half a brain. I mean, first of all, to register to vote, you just have to promise. It's all honor system. You have to promise that you're an American citizen. Show absolutely no proof whatsoever. And if you just fill in the card, you're technically committing a crime if you're a non-citizen. But as long as you keep your mouth shut and get your voter registration card and go and vote, particularly in these liberal states, nothing will ever happen to you. They don't prosecute voter fraud. They don't want to. So here's what the way in which the best way to limit it, because it's always going to be there is it's got to be done state by state. You don't want the federal government coming in there because that's what the left tried to do and put their thumb on the scale when uh, Nancy Pelosi was speaker with H.R. 1 and H.R. 4. They were, if those bills had actually passed into law, you wouldn't have a Republican elected state or nationwide in our lifetimes. It was so bad. So Texas has taken some steps forward, Iowa, Georgia, and, and others. What you want to do is this. First of all, the most secure way to vote is to vote in person, period, end of story, full stop. That's why the left wants to go to mail-in only, because that's the easiest way to commit fraud. It's a breeze. So any once a ballot has been produced, it needs to be under lock and key and under video surveillance at all times. But the left, of course, they don't want to do that either. Um, that's the number one thing. You need to give poll watchers access and so this is the way I, when I'm in my town halls, Dan, this is what I ask people. I get a piece of paper. And I say, let's just say this is a winning lottery ticket. You've won $100 million. There are two ways that you can redeem this $100 million. You can walk it in to the lottery office or you can mail it in. Is anybody here going to mail it in? And of course, everybody <laughs>, laughs and says, absolutely not, because it's more secure if you walk in. So why don't we treat voting that way? I, I, I totally agree. I, I just get a kick out of people can't get off their fat ass and go get a voter quiz. I mean, I just drives me, it drives me crazy how we just give in. Like, instead of having a standard, we're like, well, we'll drop every standard. And we do it so often. It doesn't seem to be the American way. I got to ask you a sports question before we get moving here. I'm watching TV the other day, and people are saying Notre Dame is a relic of the past. I look at Notre Dame football and I say, no, 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 Indiana basketball is a relic of the past. Notre Dame football has been in the Final Four. In your world, because you are one of the original 
entrepreneur college athletes putting those Catholics versus convicts T-shirts out there. Is Notre Dame in a great spot in terms of NIL in, in, in that space? Is Notre Dame football in a great spot for that? I think so because they have such a natural a national reach, and that's one of the reasons why Sam yeah. Hartman stayed in school for that fifth year. He actually made more money, Dan, as a Notre Dame starting quarterback than he would with NIL than he would have if he had been drafted and gone into the league because he wasn't going to be that high of a pick. So it, in in that in that regard, it does encourage some students anyway to student athletes to stay in school, and that's why I think what you'll see too is it's going to be very difficult to have that Alabama dominance, a school like that, that is just so good. They're winning national championships, at least in football, every other year and that kind of thing, because NIL makes it more competitive. I do think that we need to trim it down and there should be, this should be a, the student athlete and whoever wants to legitimately uh, engage them in some commerce. The school should be completely out of that picture at all, because what's the, the dark side of the NIL is you're getting some of these recruits that say, well, I'll come to your school, but I want five million dollars or seven million dollars. That shouldn't be a discussion that's allowed to be to be had with the, the athlete uh, and or their representation and the university. It should be between legitimate um, you know, really legitimate desires for commerce, whoever that person is with the athlete themselves. Do you, do you see Congress getting involved and do you see contracts coming to the college football basketball spaces? I, I well, I yeah, I well to in answer to your first part of your question, I do think that Congress is going to get involved. I do think Congress needs to get involved just because it's the Wild West. We just need to set rules. I do believe in liberty and I do believe that athletes that have uh, you know, market value should be able to use that market value for their name, image and likeness. Uh, but they shouldn't get paid to play because they are amateur athletes. So maybe people are saying, well, you know, you're splitting hairs here. Um, but think about like a Johnny Manziel 10, 15 years ago, how much money he would have made if NIL was in existence then. Oof. So it just, you know, I mean, he would have, he might have made, you know, 20, $30 million or more. So I, I want to have that. But again, I don't want a bidding war and it really corrupts the process. So there needs to be, we need to pave a highway and say, stay in the lanes. And uh, I think with the, it should be bipartisan. It should be bicameral. So I'd, I'd like to see that happen. And I think it's going to be better for college sports. I kept you too long. My guys just said you had a hard out two minutes ago. I apologize. Thanks for coming oh, on. No I love worries. talking to you. I love when you come on. Thank you. No, Thanks. Dan, you're the best. Thanks. I'll see you soon. I love, yes, sir. This border thing drives me nuts. It, it just drives me nuts. And, and guys like Pat Fallon are out there trying to fight it. And he's in Texas. I mean, honest to God, why, why, why this should be a nonpartisan, everybody in this together, call out this nonsense. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet is going to join us coming up in a minute. It is Herbie's, well, it's his debut on the big show. Look at us. Wow. Tomorrow, Brad Underwood, head coach of Illinois, is going to join us. Looking forward to that. Brad is one of my favorites. They had a nice win the other day against Iowa. All right, Herbie, when we come back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.
You know, he's apparently, if you listen closely enough, he's the most powerful man in all of football. I mean, he did everything this past year in football from get Florida State out of the Final Four. He changed recruits from, like, Georgia to Nebraska. Herbie, how did you accumulate all – I mean, every time I open the freaking newspaper, you're you're – you got people pissed off because of your immense power in football. What the hell? Dude, I that's not my lane either. You know, I, I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a kind of a boring old school work hard, give you an opinion, agree or disagree with me kind of guy. I'm not this new um guy that's in broadcasting, these younger guys that, you know, they like to say bold things and create controversy and and uh and argue about things that's that's i mean i just had an opinion i i thought alabama was good and even georgia maybe could have been you know in there they got left out but it's just the world you know how it is man you deal with it more than anybody it's the world we live in you you give an opinion that people don't like they they gotta it's got to be a conspiracy theory it's got to you know create false narratives just the world we live in as you know do you do you think I, I I'm just, I'm going to lay this out before I ask you about this. I, I had no problem. I coached AAU, so I coached a number of kids and got to know a number of kids that were high end recruits. And people would ask me, moms and dads would ask me about schools and coaches, and I would give them my opinion. And I don't care if I was broadcasting for ESPN at the time. You privately want to ask my opinion. I'm going to give you my opinion on a coach or a program. And I don't think that's inappropriate. I was reading the stuff that people were on your ass about for that that transfer, Raiola, or however you say his name. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even care. Yeah, I don't even care if Herbie did this. If somebody's going to ask you and they're friends, you tell them. Is that wrong? I mean, well, I mean, I know know his dad. Uh, I covered him when he was in in college. He played with the Lions. And I think, you know, he was just – it wasn't like I changed. I mean, he said I helped influence it, but I was just more of a sounding board. He was just calling me almost like dad to dad and just saying, I, we didn't even bring up Georgia. I just assumed I don't follow recruiting. I just assumed all was well. I just saw him a month ago at an old, old Miss Georgia game in Athens. He was there as a recruit. I just assumed business was good. And he moved his son down in that area to go to high school. And I just assumed, hey, he's going to go to Georgia, throw for a million touchdowns, go to the NFL, and life is good. And, and then he tells me they're having uh, second thoughts, and he just asked me what I thought of, of Matt Rule, who I happen to think Matt Rule's a great coach. I, you know, what he did at Temple, what he did at Baylor, didn't work out with the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, but I, I think he's a great coach. All I did was compliment Matt Rule, and, and not only that he can win, but how he – runs his program he's just a he's just a guy that if and you know what it's like i mean not only being a coach but sending your son to go play for someone i mean that's really important um the the kind of character and and the the way your son to be treated and i was just kind of validating who i think matt rule is as a as a person as a coach that's all and um and then i the one thing i did say was man your, your son can go anywhere probably get nil money play with the greatest players go to the nfl and he's willing to put that on hold because of your legacy at Nebraska, who hasn't been meaningful in 20 years on the national landscape. And he's willing to go to Nebraska, nothing against Nebraska, but they're not competing for big 10 championships or national titles since, since his dad played there. 
And his son has cared so much about his dad in Nebraska. I said, man, that's, that's really cool. My dad played at Ohio state. He was a captain. I, my dad didn't force me to go to Ohio state, but I, I wanted to, I grew up a fan of Ohio state. I wanted to play for the Buckeyes because of my dad. And I just thought that, that says a lot about your son and your relationship. That's all I said. And wasn't forcing him to Nebraska. I love Kirby. I love Georgia. How can you not? And um, literally, I didn't think much of the conversation. I just moved on. And then next thing I know, he <laughs> he goes to Lincoln and has a great visit and flips his decision. And then his dad a month later does an interview and says that his talk with me really helped him, you know, decide to go to Nebraska. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I did. I wasn't. I wasn't like getting involved in recruiting. I, all I did was answer his questions and hung up the phone and got back to work, getting ready for whatever game I was calling and didn't really think much of it. So, but that again, didn't, I love, if you ever listen to me call Georgia games, you know, you know, again, you know how it is better than anybody. Cause you've been, yes. you've been in the fire. You, you know <laughs> yes. what it's like. You I got to ask you about Ohio state. You no, know, you got no shot. Now, so when the dad says it, this is how I do it. When something gets said like that, I just put my head down and go, oh, shit, now I got to deal with this. You know yeah, what I mean? Not, it, you know what I mean? Like, as soon as right. I mean, it, it, what, what I think people would really be surprised at is, again, Dan, this is my 28th year. I'm coming on my 29th year of sitting on the college game day set. I, I think I build a reputation where, like you and I are talking, I don't know how to act. Like, I don't know how to do a shtick. Um, this is how I'm right. talking to you, how I talk to my wife at dinner. It's how I talk on air. It's just, I prepare and then I talk. And I just happen to be for after 28 years and carrying myself in a way I've never burned a coach. I've never burned a program. I give opinions, but I, I do it in a tone where I try not to ever offend anybody, it, whether it's right or wrong. It's just been my way. And so when you do that for 28 years, and you've been in the front row of, of this sport and behind the curtain of every program, I mean, going way back forever. You know, I get calls from athletic directors. I get calls from head coaches. I get calls from athletic directors and they got their list is down to three coaches. They want to know what I think of these three coaches. And we're not going to talk about it publicly, but this is, this is my take. I get calls from head coaches on what do you think of this young assistant? What do you think of this coordinator? I mean, I, I should open up, up in a business because of what I've done for the last 15 years of behind closed doors, just answering people's questions only because I've tried to have a brand where I'm, I try to be honorable. I try to be a guy that's going to tell it like it is. You may not like it. You may like it. And so if people knew how many people I talked to, especially when you get to like early December into January, uh, they would really be upset with me because of how many folks that, <laughs> Maybe I influence, but I don't, I don't try. I don't go out there broadcasting it. I don't try to promote it. I don't intentionally, I take calls. That's all I do. And I try to be honest with people. And if people don't like that, I'm, I'm too bad. I want to, and I love the fact, and I don't, I, 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 I don't want to put words in your mouth and I don't want to, but I, I, ESPN used to call me Lee, our mutual friend, Lee Finning, be like, Dan, why the hell did you come at that guy on Twitter? I go, I don't know. I was yeah. pissed off. I don't know what to tell you. You know, and yeah. you you do it yeah. too. And I'm sure you've gotten a few of those, like, hey, come on, Herbie. But sometimes yeah. you just you just well, do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, and and you and I both know better because you're giving them what they want. Right. right. I mean, in my case with Florida State, like, you know, death threats and 
just nonstop with me and my family. And again, it's not all Florida State. It's it's the 20% radical fan base that every every fan base has, the lunatics, you know, and that's who you hear from. And I sat there and endured it for, I don't know, 57, 58 straight days. And I finally said, you know, F this. I, I'm a human. I, I'm not a punching bag. I, I'm going to respond. And I know that's what they want. But you know what? Here I go. Bang, bang, bang. Basically, <laughs> F you, F you, F you, F you, F you. And I got it off my chest. And then I put it away. And I'm not going to do it again. But at least I was able. I don't have the forum that you have where you can do this every day. So I, I got it off my chest. I gave them what they wanted. And then I blocked and muted them. And I'm moving on. Yeah, you you asked me about my son. My son, whenever my son calls me, it's almost gotten to be like when Bob Knight used to call me. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. Like, Dad, why the hell did you do that? Like, I don't know, yeah. son. I I don't know. It's just it. I don't know. Hey, yeah. I got to ask you something. I used to uh, when Urban lived behind me in Bowling Green. I used to drive Gigi Meyer, his daughter, and uh, mm-hmm. my son, my daughter, and, and Nick and Nikki. Uh, Urban's other daughter to school every yeah. morning. I just, I just did. That's cool. So I'm a big fan of Corey Dennis. I'm a big fan of Nikki Meyer. I gotta ask you a question. You're Ohio State guy. Day has fired or demoted eight people, like in the last three years, and they've been really good. Like, I'm honest to God, I sit there and I watch football. And I'm like, how good do you gotta be in this goddamn sport? Because like and, and so Corey Dennis is out after going eleven and one. I know they lost the bowl, but what the hell? What is Ohio? Does Ohio State? How do I put this right? Make too much of losing to Michigan? Well, I think you know if you go back again, the world has changed. But if you go back to Woody Hayes, which Ohio State fans, that's they always seem to to want to use that as the barometer. I mean, Woody Hayes lost a lot of times to Bo. Right. I mean, he lost he lost the games at Michigan. I feel like Ohio State, because of the success initially of Jim Trestle, you know, he he brought him a national championship in 2002 in his second year. They hadn't won one since 1968. People forget Ohio State and Michigan. It was always Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl. And obviously that has now changed drastically because the landscape is now about the playoff. It's just like March Madness. Are you in the tournament? Are you in the NIT? That's it. Like if you're in the NCAA tournament, okay. And in your case at Indiana, how far are you going? Okay, Bobby Knight sucks. The game's passed him by. You know, if you go out in the first round, I think he actually experienced that. And I think Ohio State in this day and age has reached a point where they're 11 and 1. If they don't go to the playoff and they lose to Michigan, in, in some people's view, it's a failed season. Nick Saban, I, I've talked with him about that. If they lose to Auburn and they don't make the playoff, they don't go to the SEC championship and they're sitting there at 11-1, and one, failed season. That's that's the new modern world of the Georgia, the Clemson, the Ohio State, and the Alabama. And it's what Michigan did was uh, a historic season. But what they're about to learn now, and I know Jim Harbaugh's gone, is sustaining that, and again, I keep going to what you experienced at Indiana, sustaining that is so much more challenging than getting up there for a year or two and then and then going back down. So Michigan now is in that rarefied air. But yeah, in Ohio State's case, that's 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 reality. If they lose to Michigan in the, in the world of social media and they don't go to the playoff, 
it's a failure. And it's because of what Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer did and the success that they had against Michigan and the success they had in the postseason. And so if, it, if, if you don't reach that bar, instead of saying, oh, shucks, we tried hard. Kids played well. We'll get them next time. There's none of that. It's F you. Whose head is on a cutting block? It's the coordinator. It's the coach. It's 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 the quarterback. We got to get rid of somebody. Somebody sucks. We got to fire somebody. Is it the ref? We'll find out where he lives. Where does that guy work? Where's that referee work? We're going to go uh, abuse him and his family. Like it's always got to be somebody, right? And that's an eleven and one. It's somebody. So right. I don't get it. Eight, hey. but that's. That's the world they're in. Herbie, when I grew up, I grew up Gary, Indiana. Notre Dame fans were everywhere. I wasn't really a Notre Dame fan. I didn't really care. But my buddy Pat Burns, I go to his house, and they had this big, like, blanket-type thing on the wall. Yeah. Notre Dame, 1966, undefeated season. And <laughs> now it's like, like an undefeated season was really good. Now it's like, yeah, you're eleven and one. Screw you! Like, wait, hold yeah. on. You're you're in every hot Herbie. If you were a quarterback at Ohio State, and you went eleven and one four straight years as a quarterback. Oh you're in the freaking football Hall of Fame, right? Oh my God! Ohio State was an eight and three program forever, forever. If they went eight right. and three, they beat Michigan, and they went to the Citrus Bowl or the whatever bowl. Uh, maybe a sugar bowl, and they won that game. It was like everybody was going into the offseason just fired up. Everybody's like, wow, what a great year. We finished nine and three. We beat Michigan. We, you know, we went to the sugar bowl. What a great year. That that was it. I mean, that, that and off to recruiting, you know, and and it's not it's just not that way anymore. And like I said, it's not that way for everybody, but it is that way. For, I, I mentioned the programs. It's Ohio State, it's Georgia, it's Alabama. And it's Clemson. Right now, everybody, there are Clemson fans that want to get rid of Dabo Sweeney because he's not getting to the playoff after going there for whatever it was, five or six straight years. He's still winning eight or nine games. Get rid of his, oh, oh, we got to change everything. Again, it's it's part of the crazy, crazy climate of this sport. I always ask people, uh, you know, I, I, I have a couple mottos that I live by, and one of them is be careful what you wish for. Just be careful what you, what you, uh, you know what I mean? Just, yeah. just. A little bit. Yeah. Did the NCAA? <laughs> what, what, what's going to happen? Like, you got a lot going on with Michigan. The Big Ten suspended Harbaugh. The the uh, the school suspended Harbaugh. But now there's NCAA. Is the NCAA feckless? Do, do, do they even matter? And, and if so, what is potentially going to happen here with Michigan and when? Well, first, the, the bigger question is where, where are we in, in the as we re, do the realignment? We're going to 12 now, potentially 14 in the playoff. Where, where are we when it comes to the governing body of the sport? I, right. I feel like I feel like the, the commissioners in our sport. I'd love to hear what you think about a high level of, of college basketball. But in our sport and football, I feel like Greg Sankey. You know, and, and Tony Petiti, those guys, the commissioners of the SEC and the Big Ten, they, they seem for me to kind of run this sport. And the other commissioners, I feel like, are, are in alignment, trying to get in alignment with them. You know, I think they they are the power brokers in this sport. I feel like every time with the threat of litigation, every time the NCAA goes like, um, excuse me, can we? It's just like <laughs> back in your corner, you know, and they're just like, OK, you're right. Hey, we're, 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 back, we're going back over here to the corner. 
So I feel like the NCAA has lost any power whatsoever uh, in college football. I, I feel like at this point, as we go to this new world, I would not be surprised. I don't know how they get there, honestly, Dan, but you take the Big Ten, whoever it's going to be. It's like 60 teams. If it's the Big Ten and it's the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 and whoever else, I think they, I, I think they should go form their own world, create their own governing body, get one voice, one commissioner, instead of everybody having to get an agreement where these guys don't always feel comfortable with each other, get one voice. You imagine the NFL, if they had nine commissioners for each division or whatever it would be. I mean, it, there's a commissioner of the AFC South. There's a commissioner of the NFC North. And they'd all have to agree on stuff. No, no, all these guys care about is their own map. Greg Sankey's concerned about the SEC. You know, Tony's worried about the Big Ten. Jim's worried about the ACC. And around and around we go. And so we need one voice. So I would pull out away from the NCAA, create my own governing body. I would partner with the players. I think you have to go through things like NIL and make some realistic changes in NIL. This is ridiculous. You got to talk about transfer portal. You got to make that more accommodating to the players and the coaches where you have more, more staying uh, power for a program. This, this is ridiculous right now. Players they just leave whenever they want to leave. You, you can't do that. So we need rules around that. And then you're going to have, eventually probably have revenue sharing. I mean, you're going to probably have to all this money that's being thrown into this world. You're going to have to share that. So you, you partner with a player's union or an entity of some kind, and then you enforce rules. You know, that here are the rules. If you break them, bang. If you, if you fall in line, then you're going to be fine. And I think that's the only way we can, we can avoid the litigation, the antitrust laws, I don't know how you get there, but I think that's where we're headed. Players are going to be employees. You're late to a meeting. You're fined. It's going to basically be the NFL in college football. Somehow we have to still do academics. We still have to talk about the importance of getting an education, even though nobody wants to hear that. It is. Um, but, yeah, I, th I think the NCAA is losing power by the day. And I think uh, eventually that's what I see happening is – they're going to have to form their own world for college football. As far as what happens to Michigan, man, I, man, I just don't know enough about what's real, what's not, what's illegal, what's not. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Now that Jim's gone, uh, the, a lot of the assistants are gone. I have no idea where that that um, investigation is going and if it has any power at all behind it with the current state of the NCAA. My guess is if they gave you a Goodell salary of $44 million or whatever it is, you would love to be the commissioner <laughs> of college football. Would that be a – like, I, you know what I mean? Like, who – I mean, you know, like somebody asked me the other day, you know, if Indiana job opened, would you want to be the head coach? I go, you realize it'd be like a five-year, $30 million deal. So, yeah, I'll take the job. You, you know what yeah. I mean? Can, 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 like, I, can I ask you a quick, a quick sidebar? Yeah. Well, yeah. Just yeah. – just, I grew up in a different generation than today where they look at Bobby Knight. You know, I'm talking Bobby Knight is prime. I grew up in a generation where guys like Bill Barcells, um, Bobby Knight, I, I, my dad was a coach with Woody Hayes. So yeah, I didn't like to be ridiculed as a player, but I liked having to be accountable. And, and like, I liked if I work my ass off and keep my mouth shut and do what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to be rewarded for that approach. I, I, I came from that way. I was raised around that. My high school coach was an ex-Marine. 
I, I miss that kind of coach. I just want to ask you, what was it like to play? What's your lasting memory of playing for him? And then what's your, what was it like being an assistant coach uh, for him? I'm talking the glory years when he became yeah. Bobby Knight that we all, yeah. not the one where everyone, you know, said he's Woody Hayes and he, yeah. you know, lost his mind. Herbie, I played for a high school coach that we, we were really good. In my high school had never been good. Never. And myself and a kid who went to Purdue, we go to state finals. There's no class, you know, and we bought our coach a, a, we bought our coach a chase lounge chair and said, coach, if you're just going to sit in the stands during practice, might as well be comfortable. So we bought him like a little reclining, you know, so I didn't come, you know, nothing, but I'll tell you this to, to your point about coach Knight, you, there was a red team and a white team. This is my lasting thing. I'm not going to bore you with all of it. If you're on the red team, that meant you were going to play. If you're on the white team, that meant you better keep your mouth shut, bust your ass, and when you get on the red team in practice, play well, and you are going to play. So many coaches now, and Wooden did this, so it works. Eight guys, that's it. I always could tell my parents, I wasn't a good player. I played some, didn't play, whatever. But I would yeah. tell my parents, hey, come, on, come to the game. I'm going to start. And they'd be like, you're starting. You didn't even play the last two games. Yeah, I go, I know. I had great practice, so I'm going to start. Or I would tell them, yeah, I may start this game, but I'm coming out in a minute because I didn't practice, whatever. And I always appreciated that, Herbie. I always Mm -hmm. appreciated that if you busted your ass, I don't care when it was, you were going to get an opportunity. And I – look, my dad was a high school principal in Gary, Indiana, and he didn't swear like night, but they were the same guy. So – and then coaching with him, I loved coaching with him until my last two years when he did not try, when it was so frustrating. We could have had, I don't oh, know if you yeah. know these names, Rafe LaFrenz, Jock Vaughn, and he just didn't try. So I, when you I, say, I was when gonna, you say didn't I try, you, you mean in recruiting he didn't try? Yeah, yeah, didn't, like, didn't nothing, like, and then would why, fire why, us. Why was that? Why was that? He didn't want to play the game? Like the no, the, the he he would he or? would go, Herbie. He would literally go to Montana for the summer, and in that in those days, you went and recruited from July, yeah. all July. So I was on the road. Those Coach, you got to call this. I'll yeah. tell you a quick story. Rafe LaFriends is the best center in the country. He he went Kansas. to Kansas and all that. Kansas. Yeah. yeah, I he's from Iowa. Iowa didn't have a coach. Tom Davis was out, so. The dad and I were became really close. Rafe is in Indy at the night All American camp. We've got him coming down f- for two days to hang out. Knight tells me, "Hey, look, I'm going to the Bo Schembechler, Millie Schembechler golf outing practice round. So you bring the Lafrances down here after the camp is over, and I'll spend a few hours with them. But I'm leaving. The camp is over at midnight." I drive with the LaFrances to Bloomington. We get there 2, 3 in the morning. He meets us in the in – the, my wife is there. He meets me, Mr. Mrs. LaFrance, Rafe, at 3.30 in the morning. 3.30. He walks in, looks at Mrs. LaFrance and says, man, you look like shit. I'm like, Whoa. We sit with these people till five in the morning. We're supposed to have two days with them. 
The next day at like 10 or 11, I go meet the LaFrances, and Mr. LaFrance is like, Dan, great visit. We're going to Notre Dame. See ya. Boom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, now, now to, like, to, put that, to put that in perspective, had he ever done anything? Everyone talks about, it, you know, he's, he's temperamental. And, but had he ever done anything like that with you when you ever brought a recruit to meet him? Had he ever? Is that, was that a normal communication? So three in the morning with, wasn't, three in the morning wasn't normal. Three in the morning was Wow, you not, look like shit. I mean, is that? Uh, like you, you always were, like, even when I brought my dad around. Like there's Tony Dungy's high school coach is a guy named Benny Sierra. Benny Sierra is one of the great high school coaches in the state of Michigan, and the Sierras are friends of mine. So my dad and Benny Sierra, we go, I bring him in to see Coach Knight. And he goes off on Benny Sierra about a player from 30 years ago. And I'm like, good seeing you. Let's go. Herbie. Wow. I should write a book. I should, wow. I should write a book. That's great. And it wasn't like he bought, he was busting his chops for like five minutes and then moved on. It was like he was no. just no. going. No, no. Like My dad and I both. No, wow. we knew that, that with Coach Knight, the difference was in his eyes. And when his eyes got pointed and pissed, you're like, all right. Okay. This is not good. You know, when his eyes were like laugh, you know, you could tell. Yeah. But uh <laughs> Herbie, Man, I got you you must he, you must have a million <laughs> stories. I, I was in Ohio State. Hey, how I'll, about this? I was yeah. in Ohio State when I was in the same class with 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 Mark Baker, Chris Gent, J- Jimmy Jackson came a year later, but he was kind of part of that group. Yeah. Um Bill Robinson, a Perry Carter, Treg Lee, Lawrence Funderburg came back. You know, it was that, that era of uh uh, and Jimmy yeah. Jackson, I Jamal Brown, uh, Jimmy Jackson really set a tone of, of 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 professionalism within that 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 group that era, and uh, that that course that ninety one game in Columbus, I was there, you know, as oh. a student oh. right there. It was one, that was maybe one of the best sporting events that I've ever attended, especially as a youngster, you know, and and. Uh, Damon Bailey and and Jimmy Jackson going back and forth, but just watching night because we were back in those days at St. John Arena. We the student section you could almost touch the visiting coach. We were right there, and you know, not me, but a lot of my buddies, of course, are there. They're giving night the the the, the business. But I was it, what stood out to me about that because Knight, of course, played at Ohio State and all that. When I always I got there because I wanted to see Bobby Knight in warmups. This is when Bobby Knight was Bobby Knight. And you guys right, didn't right. come out. You didn't come out until there was like thirty seconds or less on the clock uh, to start the game. Like everyone else is out, they're shooting, doing layup lines. All the coaches, <laughs> everyone, no, nothing from Indiana. And I don't know. Did you guys do that every week, every game you you played, or is that just when you went to Columbus? I can't. No, I can't remember why. Usually we came out thirty minutes, warmed up, went back in, and sometimes come out with three or four minutes to go sometimes depending on you know <laughs> and there because of his history with yeah he came out right. and it was like darth vader it was like darth vader coming out <laughs> of the corner you know <laughs> and he's this big guy i don't i i, I just i love those old stories so anyway i'm sorry to get sidetracked herbie there. 
No, Herbie, that, that game, I made sure I had a recruiting trip after because I knew we might lose, and I didn't want to go home after losing, so I set a recruiting trip up. I can still remember the kid's name, Sean Hahn, he, he, like Westfield or somewhere like that. Because I, yeah. I knew it was going to be a bitch of a game, right? And yeah. I'm like, man, if we lose, I don't want to go home. I don't want to be on that yeah. bus. He, he, when I was a player, he, he told two of our players, Winston Morgan and Mike Gioma, they couldn't dry, fly home on the team plane. They had to go on the second plane because he didn't want to yell and scream at him. I don't want to see you two idiots go on the other <laughs> plane. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. That's crazy. Hey, I'll tell you when I remember. I'll tell you when I remember you. Yeah. Go ahead. I I was gonna say, were you after? Um, was it was it a guy Randy Whitman and Kitchell? Kitchell? Yeah, we I I played. We won the Big Ten. I played with them. Um, we won the Big Ten in '83. They graduated in '83. I I came. Uh, '82 was my freshman year. '83. I gotta ask you. I gotta ask you one thing. Um. Two things, actually. One, you never, ever thought you were going to lose to Indiana in football. You never. And I'll tell you what happened. I'm at your game. You're playing. It's under the lights in Bloomington. I got to go recruit or I got to go scout, but I ain't leaving because Indiana's playing you pretty tough. And yeah. I'm telling the guy that's going with me, I go, we got to watch. And the next thing you know, Robert freaking Smith breaks one for like 90 yards and as he's running, I'm like, let's get the hell out of here. Let's go. <laughs> we're gone. He's like on the 50. And I'm like, hey, we're yeah. out. I know, you know, go ahead. Here's a great story about that is we, we uh, got him, Steve Tovar. He and I were co-captains. And this is, this is before the internet. So we are hearing Michigan is losing uh, to Illinois. And they have to lose for us to – we got to beat Indiana. And the next week we're playing Michigan. The winner goes to the Rose Bowl. It was a big deal back then. And we're hearing that Michigan's down three. There's like a minute to go. You know, you're getting updates from the sideline reporter. And we're literally walking out for the coin toss. Our, our entire team is buzzing, thinking Michigan's going to lose. I'm walking out for the coin toss. I'm looking across at Trent Green. He's walking out to me. And I'm listening. The radio guys, he's like, Michigan's lining up for a last-second field goal. And I'm like walking out. I'm looking at Trent Green, looking at the ref. We're about maybe 50 feet away from each other. He's The guy's giving me play-by-play. Play. And he's like, the snap, the hold, it's up. It's good. So they tied the game, so we're screwed. If we beat Indiana, beat Michigan, we're not going to the Rose Bowl. I literally put my hand out to shake Trent Green's hand. It's this guy freaking tells me it's good. So I'm like, oh, my God. So our team went from thinking – we got a shot to get the back right. into the Rose Bowl to just like this. And Indiana, Bill Mowry, man, he, he recruited Ohio well. He had Trent Green. They were tough. Uh, just, just you know, they had kids from Maslin. They, they were just a good, hard-nosed team. And if you show up with, like, your, oh, it's Indiana, uh, feeling sorry for yourself, you're going to be in a battle. They, they were that kind of team back then. But uh, I always had a lot of respect for Bill Mowry, man, the, the way he – the way he went about uh, trying to win at a, at a place like IU. It's tough to do back then. Yeah. I remember when they fired him, I said the same thing. I was a young assistant. I said, be careful what you wish for, man. Just be yeah. careful what the hell you wish yeah. for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Indiana fans were bitching about the bowl they went to with Mallory. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, at least we're going to a bowl. Be, be, yeah, exactly. Be careful, man. Yeah. Hey, I no, gotta he, run. He, Our he, show's he, over. We, 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 I put oh. you over the limit. I've kept you too I'm long, sorry, man. man. 
I'm sorry. Hey, have me on anytime. I appreciate you. Keep, keep, hey, uh, let's keep, let's do it again if you fight. don't mind. Anytime. Thanks, Herbie. Appreciate you. That's the great Kirk Herbstreet. I love talking to him. I can sit there. I love guys that pay attention to other sports. Like, I I pay attention to football and everywhere. We went too long, but I don't care. That was a lot of fun. And I appreciate Herbie coming on. Hey, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, everybody.